Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for May the 25th. So if you recall, our daily devotionals are divided into two segments. We have our verse of the day segment, and we have our through the Bible in one year segment. So we're going to start off with our verse of the day segment for our verse of the day. Our verse of the day for May the 25th comes from Matthew 18, verses 2 through 5. And he says, he, little, he called a little child to him and placed a child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes the one such child in my name welcomes me. So what we see here is that a child's humility consists of their vulnerability and the inability to promote their own cause without their parents or a parent's help. Those who enter the kingdom of heaven must turn from their own power and self-seeking attitude in a childlike humil and in a childlike humility call on God's mercy. And those who accept and believe the witness of a Christian disciple will receive Jesus themselves. So what does all this mean? So what it means is this, the positive changes Jesus desires to make in our lives through the initial experience of spiritual salvation. The ongoing work of the Holy Spirit start with a childlike, and keynote here, not a childish attitude. <coughs> So in order for Christ to transform our character and make us fit for his kingdom, our attitude toward him must be humble, honest, dependent, trusting, and ready to be molded by the Heavenly Father. So following the childlike step of submitting to God, the conversion Jesus requires consists of two parts radically turning away from everything that is selfish and ungodly and deliberately turning toward God. This means doing what is right by His standards and producing spiritual fruit as evidence of true repentance. So what we see there are two big things about this spiritual conversion in this passage. The first thing is spiritual conversion. The spiritual conversion, a spiritual conversion does not consist of a single act of sorrow or regret over past sins. It requires an ongoing, all-encompassing attitude toward life that continually resists sin and puts aside desires in order to seek after God's plan with all our heart. This is necessary because by nature we tend to follow a path that leads away from God and toward eternal death. So true spiritual conversion is a total change of heart in response to God's gift of salvation. 
such a change is possible, possible only when, only by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, which we must receive through faith. And so the second thing we see is that because of a new relationship to God, genuine conversion involves significant changes in other areas of life, including relationships, priorities, habits, commitments, interests, and the overall view of life. Conversion is a complete <coughs> life transformation, and it is a necessary element of genuine saving faith. <coughs> a basic requirement for ongoing spiritual growth. And so the Bible readings that you have to do for May the 25th are Second Samuel chapter 7 through chapter 8, John chapter 14 verses 15 through 31, Psalm 119, 33 through 48, and Proverbs 15 verse 33. So now we're going to move into our second segment of our daily devotional <coughs> for May the 25th, which is our Through the Bible in One Year segment. So just a brief note of a reminder, if you have missed any of these segments, whether they be first of the day, <coughs> or through the Bible in one year, you can get caught up with them by visiting upstatechristian.com. So now we're on to day 145 of our Through the Bible in One Year segment. So our focus for today is John chapter 9, verses 1 through 34. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 34. So yesterday we finished John chapter 8, and today we move into John chapter 9, <coughs> where we see Jesus heal a man who was born blind. So this healing of a man born blind is the sixth of Jesus' seven signs. It illustrates the different aspects of what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. So as the chapter progresses, because chapter 9 is dealing almost exclusively with this healing and the aftermath of it. So as the chapter progresses, the man comes to have a clearer understanding of Jesus' identity. So on the one hand, the blind, the blind man had received both physical and spiritual sight, and on the other hand, the religious leaders rejected the light and were confirmed in their darkness. So now we are ready to start. So we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 7 to start off with. So here's what it says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. This happens that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of 
Saloma, which means uh, this word means sent. So the men, so the man went and washed and came home, seeing. So blindness in the Old Testament was more than just a physical ailment. It was <coughs> was commonly used as a metaphor for spiritual blindness. So the Messiah was to bring both light and sight. Jesus addressed the ultimate purposes, purpose of the man's affliction rather than its cause. Jesus used the opportunity to challenge his disciples to join him in the work of God, the work God sent him to do. There was another urgency in his words. The miracle itself was reported with brevity, in other words, it's just a short description. John doesn't go into all of the great details of what happened. Because the details don't really particularly matter here. Jesus made butt on the ground and applied it to the man's eyes. So the action of kneading dirt on the ground was strictly forbidden on the Sabbath according to the rules of the Pharisees. So again, what we see here is Jesus broke the Sabbath rules that the Pharisees, that man, had established to do God's work. And the Pharisees are going to get <coughs> angry about that, as we will see as we go through this chapter. So now let's go back and talk about the mistaken idea that Jesus had to correct about physical blindness being a result of some sin. So what we see in verse 2 is that the, is that the, <coughs> is that the disciples had some incorrect ideas about the causes of afflictions. And Jesus had to correct those incorrect ideas. So the disciples thought that every serious illness or difficulty was the result of some sin or offense against God. So, yes, at times, sickness and suffering can result from a serious sin or foolish choices, but that is not always the case. Sometimes God, God allows suffering, which naturally affects everyone in our God-defying world. That's what we have to remember. We live in a God-defying, sinful, fallen world, and that suffering will naturally affect everyone. Because he has a greater purpose that is not always understood at first, that's why God will allow it. So through difficulties, God is able to show his mercy, love, and power. Suffering may also may cause people to turn to Christ for help and spiritual salvation. So what we must remember is that often in the world the innocent suffer while the wicked do not. So now we will be picking up in verse 8 <coughs> and going through verse 17. So here's what that says. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus. Made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. 
was this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the man, now, 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 excuse me, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was thus, was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him, how, how had he been? Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight, excuse me. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Rather, they asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided, and they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. But we see his demands, neighbors questioned his identity because they had never known him to be able to see. So after they were convinced of his identity, they questioned him about how he had gained his sight. So their questioning gave him the opportunity to recount his story in detail. They give it to him in detail. So he identified the man, Jesus, as the one who had healed him. Right? So he said he put mud on my eye and I washed now I see. Right? So he identified the man who had healed him as Jesus. So the Pharisees were the next people to question this man because he has friends brought him to the religious leaders because they really, his friends couldn't understand how this man had received his sight back. So they took him to the people they thought to be experts on all matters of spirituality to see if maybe they could get an answer for this question. So, we see for a second time he recounted his healing, though his reply this time was much briefer than before, because he's already told his friends, and his friends must have told the Pharisees what they saw. So he gives them a very brief and short encounter of his healing. So what we see is that the critical issue, once again, was that the healing took place on the Sabbath. See that once again, all the Pharisees, the religious leaders I cared about at this point in time, was keeping their laws, making sure that the people were kept under their thumb, that their laws were followed exactly to the letter, not caring at all about whether or not their laws were kept, that the law was the law was kept in spirit. All they cared about was the law was kept to the letter. The law says you can't work on the Sabbath day. So you ain't go you can't work on the Sabbath day. It means you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath day because that was working. You can't make mud and put it on the man's eyes to heal him on the Sabbath day because that's working. You following so far? So as a result of this man's testimony, the Pharisees were divided over their beliefs regarding Jesus' identity, but we see that this man considered Jesus to be a prophet, and that's going to be the key here. So now I'm going to pick up in verse 18 and go through verse 23, which says, 
and still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say, you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? How is it that he now can see? We know that he, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Of age, ask him. So we see that the religious leaders then interrogated this man's parents. Why did they interrogate this man's parents? Why go through all this trouble? Because they were hoping to prove that this healing was a sham. They were hoping to prove that this was nothing more than a hoax. So while the parents affirmed the fact that their son was born blind, they said, Yes, this is our son. Yes. He was born blind. They had no idea how he had received his sight. And in fact, they said, this is what they said, right? He is a, ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. So in other words, the parents said, we don't know. Ask him. He's now a legal member of, Jew, of the of society. Ask him. He is not our responsibility no more. He's of age. He's not a minor child anymore, he's now an adult. Ask him. So the parents put the burden back on their son to explain his healing. And we also see that John here notes that the parents feared expulsion from the synagogue. They feared being cast out of the quote-unquote religious community that they were part of, even though they should not have wanted any have wanted to have anything to this quote-unquote religious community because this, as we will see later, this religious community is what kept them from believing that Jesus was who he says he was. <coughs> so now we're going to pick up in verse 24 and we're going to go through the end of this section, which is verse 34. So take a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. You know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. 
He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They threw him out. So the religious leaders summoned this man a second time and they wanted more information. They wanted to interrogate him a little bit more. Obviously they interrogated his parents, but they didn't get the answers they wanted from his parents. So the f um So the man responded with his own testimony of what had taken place. So while the leadership while the religious leadership tried to intimidate the man with their knowledge and status, he refused to be bullied. See, the Pharisees questioned the man with the hope of finding evidence to condemn Jesus. I mean, condemning Jesus condemned this man. So the back and forth between the Pharisees and this man that was born blind becomes increasingly intense. The more pressure they put on him to denounce Jesus, the more firmly his defense of Jesus, the more firmly his defense of Jesus became, the more firmly he defended Jesus, the more firmly he restated his belief that you're wrong about this man. This man has to be from God, because only a person who comes from God, only a person who is in touch with God could do the things that Jesus was doing. But you see, the Pharisees didn't want to believe that. That would upset their little apple cart. It would destroy their power in the community. And that would be bad, 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 bad for them. So eventually, what we see here is that everyone became polarized into one of two camps. You were either a follower of Jesus or you were a follower of Moses. So what we see here at the very end of this section of John chapter 9 is that when the Pharisees' frustration reaches a boiling point, they put this man out of the synagogue. So now let's talk about the fact that this man was thrown out of the synagogue. So the fact he was thrown out is probably the best thing that happened to this man who was born blind. So why is it the best thing that happened to this man, you're going to ask? This is a good question, because if he had remained part of the synagogue, he would have easily drifted back the traditional beliefs that kept many people from accepting Christ and his message of truth, spiritual salvation, and a personal relationship with God. So, the, so today the same thing can happen to those who are in spiritually lifeless churches or unbiblical religious organizations. So if you remain in that church or that situation, you may lose your hunger for true Christianity based on solid Bible teaching. And as a result, you would likely return to your old, spiritually harmful ways. So in order to grow closer to Christ, we must separate ourselves from things that seem to be spiritual, but are really not in agreement with God and His Word. So you see, <coughs> the thing that his parents, this man born in his mind's parents, feared the most was the best thing that happened to this man, because now he was no longer part of this quote-unquote religious community who was 
not uh, really a spiritual community. It was a spiritually lifeless community that was all about not bringing the message to the people that needed to hear it. That was all about you have to keep our rules. You have to do this. It was not about facilitating the heart change that God was, that is required in order for you to be a follower of God. <coughs> and we'll pick up from here tomorrow as we finish John chapter 9. And so in order to do that, here is what you need to read. You need to read Second Samuel 9 through 11. John chapter 15, Psalm 119, 49 through 64, and Proverbs 16, 1 through 3. Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for May the 26th. So if you'll recall, our daily devotional is divided into two different segments. We have a verse of the day segment, and we have our Through the Bible in One Year segment. So our verse for today comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, which says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So just a little side note before we delve into this. This is a preview, just a small preview of uh, what we will be discussing when we get to John chapter 14 in our journey through the Bible in one year together. So what we see here, this is the very beginning of John chapter 14. So which begins with Jesus continuing to answer Peter's question from the previous chapter, which is chapter 13, about his Jesus' departure. So Jesus encouraged the disciples not to lose heart. He urged them to believe in him as they believed in God. So as Jews, the disciples would have been shocked by the concept that Jesus is equal to God, even though they have walked with him now for close to three years. Jesus wanted them to understand that his departure was beneficial for them. He was going to prepare a place for them in his Father's house. And the many rooms in the Father's house are a vivid way of depicting ample room in heaven for all of Jesus' followers. And Jesus assured them that with the disciples that they knew the way to where he was going. So now let's look at the phrase, my father's house, that we see in verse 2. So this phrase clearly refers to heaven, the place to which Jesus was returning to prepare a place for his followers. God's eternal home has many rooms. What we see also in verse 2, which says, My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? 
affected it has many rooms which implies permanent dwelling places, right? So members of God's household on earth will one day transfer to their eternal home with God. So members of God's households now on earth will one day transfer to their eternal home with God. So for here we do not have an enduring city. We are looking for the city that is to come. That's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14. So now, now let's lastly look at the phrase, I will come back. Right, which is what we see in verses 3 and 4. Which says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Know the way to the place where I am going. So as surely as Christ went to heaven, he will return to take his followers to the place prepared for them. This was the hope of New Testament Christians, and it is the hope, the hope for all those who follow Christ today. And there are four big things we should take away from this passage from this last two, from these last two verses. So the first thing is, the ultimate purpose of the Lord's return is that his faithful people may be with him forever. That's the first thing. The second thing, the words, take you to be with me, <coughs> refer to the rapture when all followers of Christ which are those who are still those who are still alive at that time, as well as those who have already died, and be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's first Thessalonians four seventeen. And this will take place suddenly and at an unexpected time. That's the second thing. The third thing that we see here is Christ's coming for his faithful followers will enable them to escape the future hour of trial and judgment that will come on the world in the end times. So that's the third thing. The fourth and final thing that we see here is the expectation of this glorious and eternal reunion should be a comfort to all who desire to be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And again, that's First Thessalonians 4, verse seven, verses 17 and 18. So today's Bible readings are Second Samuel 9 through 11, John chapter 15, Psalm 119, 49 through 64, in Proverbs 16, 1 through 3. So now that concludes our verse of the day segment. Now we're going to move into our Through the Bible in One Year segment. And again, just a brief note. If you have missed any of these segments, you may get caught up with all of them by visiting Upstate christian.com that's upstatechristian.com so now we're in today 146 of the bible in one year segment 
with our focus being on John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. So now we're going to finish up John chapter 9. So yesterday we saw Jesus heal a man who had been born blind. And we saw the reaction of the religious leaders to this miraculous event. And today we're going to finish up John chapter 9 with Jesus' discussion and teaching on spiritual blindness versus physical blindness. And this occurs between the man Jesus healed and the religious leaders as they come in at the very end. So here is what this passage says. So we're going to read through it. We're going to talk about it a little bit. Then we're going to dissect it section by section. And at times, verse by verse. So Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So Jesus here found the man and questioned him about his faith in the Son of Man. The man asked, very simply, who is he? Who is the Son of Man? I want to believe, but you know who he is before I can believe. Jesus acknowledged that he is the Son of Man, much like his confession to the Samaritan woman that he talked to at the well. Jesus acknowledged that the Son of Man was much like his confession to the Samaritan woman at the well that he is the Messiah. So John remains interested, interested in the way Jesus coming divided people because you see that is what has happened. The world has been divided into camps. Now, those who believe Jesus is who he says he is, and those who don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So the man made a profound confession of faith, while the Pharisees here were confirmed in their spiritual blindness. The man now saw both physically and spiritually. Here what the, the Pharisees saw physically, but were blind spiritually. In other words, they had the head knowledge, but they didn't have no heart knowledge. They knew in their head, they knew in their mind, they knew intellectually that the only way Jesus could do all the things that he was doing was if he was actually who he said he was. Because it's the only way that they could get that in their head intellectually, but what they, got, what they thought intellectually couldn't get down into their heart, heart, heart. And we'll talk about that later. Keep that in mind for right now. Store that away. We will come back to that thought later. So the man's understanding of Jesus' identity developed throughout the narrative from Jesus being a man, from Jesus being a prophet, to Jesus being the Lord, who is to be worshipped. 
So as the light of the world, Jesus drew the man from spiritual blindness to spiritual light. So now that we understand the basics of what is happening here, let's take a deeper look by dividing this last two section, this last section of John, John chapter 9, into two parts. So the first part is going to involve the man born blind who had been healed. So that's going to be verses 35 through 38. The second part, which deals with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, is going to be verses 39 through 41. So here's that first part we're going to talk about, which is going to be 35 through 38. Where it says, <coughs> Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So what we see here, this man gained not only physical sight, but also spiritual sight as he recognized Jesus as a prophet then as his Lord. So when you turn to Christ, you begin to see him differently. The longer you walk with him, the better you will understand who he is. And I think we can all agree that is 100% true. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you better understand who he is. Right? So Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.18 to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you want to know more about Jesus, you got to keep trusting Him in every area of your life. So now let's turn to that second section, which remember, if, we're, if you remember, is dealing with the Pharisees, right? So here's what it says, so starting in verse 39, which says, Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and asked, What are we blind to? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So the Pharisees were shocked that Jesus thought they were spiritually blind. So Jesus countered by saying that it was only blindness, which is, in other words, stubbornness and stupidity, could excuse their behavior. To those who remained open and recognized how sin had truly blinded them from knowing the truth, he gave spiritual understanding and insight. But he rejected those who had become complacent, self-satisfied, and blind. So what is this takeaway from this short little passage at the end of John chapter 9? It's very simply this. Jesus' coming in message would reveal people's hearts and expose their motives. In this way, he would bring division, separating those who accept him from those who do not accept him. People who are humble enough to admit their need for Christ can find new life and healing through faith in Him. But people who proudly think they can know and experience real life apart from Christ 
just as the religious leaders chose to remain spiritually blind. So the question is very simply this. Are you going to allow what you know in your mind to be truth seep into and saturate your heart so that your life can be changed? Or are you going to keep hardening your heart and run the risk of staying spiritually blind forever? Because the choice is yours, but you must choose wisely, and you must make a choice. And we will pick up from there tomorrow as we get into John chapter 10. And in order to do that, you gotta read the following things. You gotta read Second Samuel chapter 12. You gotta read John chapter 16. You gotta read Psalm 119, 65 through 80. And you gotta read Proverbs 16, 4 through 5.